Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. After a turbulent year for planet Earth, full of surprises, it seems normality has finally resumed, finally, as Paris Saint-Germain are back at the top of Ligue 1. This comes after Lyon suffer a, a crushing late defeat to Metz, which sees them drop down to third. Um, elsewhere, Nîmes boosts their survival hopes with a 2-1 victory over Marseille, uh, to compound um, OM's miserable run of form. And also Montpellier and Monaco trade five goals between them in the weekend's most entertaining fixture. Uh, we'll be talking about these matches, as well as some of the latest transfer news and updates on the domestic TV rights saga taking place in France, and answering some of your questions from Twitter. I'm your host, Jake Smales, and today I'm joined again by Eric Devin. Hey, Eric, how's it going? Hello, well, thank you. Good stuff. I'm also joined by Mohamed Ali. How are you doing, Mo? Good, thanks. Great stuff. Well, uh, yeah, we have an OL and OM fan with us this evening, so uh, sure to be a fiery, uh, fiery discussion. Um, we're also joined this week by Kale Stockwell. Hey, Kale, thanks for coming on. Hey, Jake, thanks for having me on. Good to be here. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, so let's jump straight in. Um, with two big shocks on the cards after this week's uh, Liga in action. It's tricky to know where to start exactly, but let's opt for Sunday's clash at the at the Velodrome where Marseille hosted Nîmes. Uh, Marseille, fresh off the back of a narrow defeat in the Trophée des Champions to fierce rivals PSG and on a run of just one win in six. Uh, but they faced a Nîmes side who had lost seven of their last eight games, were bottom of the table and boasted the worst defensive record in the league. Clearly an opportunity there for André Villas-Boas' side to get back to winning ways. However, that didn't go as planned as OM's on-pitch woes were there for all to see and they succumbed to a 2-1 defeat. They are now 10 points off top spot and eight points behind Lyon in third, albeit that with their two games in hand remaining. Mo, talk to us about this one. OM's, this was OM's first defeat uh, to the bottom team in the standings in the French top flight since 1962, apparently. What exactly went wrong? Yeah, I think that's probably the easiest way to answer it. Um, in my opinion, um, as I said on Saturday, as I'm following uh, my, my Twitter account, um, it just felt like the chickens were coming home loose. And I think these problems had been brewing for such a long time. Um, and perhaps it was masked a little bit by a great start you know, early on in the season where you know, difficult runoff uh, league fixtures you know, PSG, Lyon and Lille, um, OM did come out the right side of that. The Champions League excuse, so to speak. Um, and then having pre pretty much uh, before and after Champions League games, decent, very winnable fixtures, which they performed admirably. But as now you know, fixtures are now totting up, the squad is still pretty much stretched. And there's not a lot of quality um, when, when certain elements aren't firing. Um, you just have you know, this... I don't even know what to call it. It's just it's just a, a massive, there's just so many things going wrong. And the things that you could absolutely point last season um, as benefits to Andre Villa, both sides, the way he sets up the team, uh, some of the elements in that team, everything's just gone, gone completely opposite way. Now, I don't want to be so, you know, high, you know talking in hyperbole about uh, evening, um, because I think crisis is it's never more than five games at all times. And this is just discounting the Champions League a five, six game series. Um, but how bad I think that scoring opportunities, chance creation, and how badly that you know some of the players are playing. So um, you've got and it doesn't really it doesn't really change, I think. And Dijon did the the excuse was Dijon operating such a you know such a low block and it's just frustration. You have those games where you have twenty shots and goal and that happens. Fair enough. The worst um the worst defensive record in the league and so bad that keep scoring goals, half full of goals <laughs> against them. Um, so you're playing soon at a trophy, a match which ended um, obviously in defeat for OM, but I think take heart from that relatively close um, in that match, especially in the second half looked up. So, you know, I don't, I, I, it just screams of a lack of effort from some of the players. Um, Villas-Boas, I don't think, has got the foggiest clue of what's going on um, anymore. I think he's lost control um, of the team. Um, and it's just individualistic. I think the only people that can hold their head high, and Steve Mandanda wasn't playing, and I think they were approachable half the time, but, um, you know, Alvaro, Alvaro Gonzalez and probably the rest, 
is probably the only guaranteed source of goals have been just significantly below par. And that includes players that were brought in. And, you know, I'll probably discount Pat Gay, um, who's an interesting option, but the rest, um, you know, the players that were brought in are just not at the required level. Those that are there are just not doing enough. And those that are on the bench, they just don't have the quality to come in and change the games. Um, and it's just misstep after misstep. So I just think we're entering into the perfect storm. In in the particular context of this game, obviously it was... It was um nil-nil um, and, and Marseille won a penalty. I think it was Dario Benedetto um, via a handball in, in the Nîmes box. Um, did 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 Tovan and Tovan stepped up and then missed the penalty. Yeah. Do you do you feel that was a was was a kind of game changing moment because Marseille still kind of had chances after that at nil-nil. I think they had a ball cleared off the line, but do you think psychologically that was kind of you know that was a turning point in this match? Yeah, and it should have been because. You know, you're playing at home, you've got the upper hand, you've got so much going for you. Um, you just have to stay concentrated and stay knowing that, you know, there have been games before that, month, but the sheer just you know, uh, perseverance had them to take three points. Um, and some of these players know, you know, m- many of these players have gone for, for a long, long time. So you, you should know, especially at home, that, you know, how to, how to manage games and how to manage fixtures. In fact, it was probably the high point of, um, you know, Villespo's team last year. They just refused to lose. Games that... They they look set for a point. They inevitably got three. And games they look set for defeat. They 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 got the point that was required. And I think that that unity understanding has just gone completely out of the window. Tovan missed the penalty. It was such an awful penalty. Um, mm. Droops out shoulders. Not a lot of comp- you're the team's marksman. You're the top scorer and top assist of the entire team. I just don't understand how you can step up to penalty. Not so much nonchalantly, but just looking uncomfortable. Um, and that I think resonates the entire team when things are going on and what I, I would completely understand during normal time with uh, the fiery velodrome with you know, CRS riot police I can imagine that that sort of acts people and they crack this is an empty stadium you know you've not really suffered any of them uh, of maybe fan abuse and so on and so forth but it just that was it when the penalty I, I honestly had they just absorbed a lot of the pressure and like in Dijon mm. Uh, the previous weekend, the first 20, 25 minutes were all, Mar- were all Marseille, getting into a rhythm and then trying to laboriously stay in the final third. And then Neem, after that penalty, then they're never going to say, this is our time to take the game to Marseille. And Eliasson, who in the first 40 minutes, did absolutely. And that was that. You know, that was that. Pele was completely untroubled. <laughs> and Neem just pushed forward and played the game Marseille's half, knowing that they were just bereft of things and didn't show anything to to be scared of. I think it was the same. Um, I think it was a very good setup by Arpino as long brain to come to the Velodrome, just sit back and do not play football and hope for the best. But you can honestly see uh, a paradigm shift to how Neem approached the first half. And now, you know, it's like you're in the ring um, and waiting for the opposing box to slam the punch. Nothing is, you know, forthcoming. <laughs> you know, nothing is forthcoming. So therefore, you take the game. And fair play to them. It's a completely deserved victory for them. Um, I think we've discussed previously whether uh, some of their results have been deserved or not. Uh, they had uh, a rather heavy six-point defeat to Dijon and a heavy defeat to Strasbourg as well. But didn't look too badly against uh, Lille. Didn't look too badly against San Etienne. Um, didn't look too badly in this as well. So, I, you know, and, you know, put my neutral hat on. That was a complete deserved <laughs> win. They looked the better team um, in that fixture. Big, big praise for for Neem there. Um, I mean, Neem are an interesting case because they ha- have been so woeful recently. I think I mentioned their record um, of of seven defeats uh, in eight, um, and you know that is a that is a significant result for them because not only is that their first win in that run, but it does mean that they're now in the relegation playoff place. Um, and it does seem like Arpignon, I think he switched the system slightly, kind of tweaked things, and they seem to have played the last couple of games in a in a four one four one, and have had a few more of their their players um, fit. You know, they were missing through injury, particular particularly the likes of the likes of Briançon in 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 defence. Um, Kale, what do you make of this result from a from a Nîmes uh, from a Nîmes perspective? Is this is this the kind of result that you think will galvanise this team and? could see their fortunes change or is it more kind of a, a flash in a flash in a pan, you know, considering Marseille's current form? Oh, I think it's hard to tell, to be honest. I mean, I think I generally, I think Neem are kind of better than their record. I think sometimes they get a little, maybe a little bit lucky with, with their results, but I think they're, they're a team that 
that has enough talent should probably actually be able to stay up in Ligue 1. Their defense has been terrible, but I feel like that's actually not really anything new for Nîmes in the last couple of years. But offensively, going forward in midfield, I think they have some nice pieces. So hopefully, you know, getting three points at the Velodrome can maybe pull the team together a little bit. I thought that uh, Eliasson was excellent, especially uh, in the second half. And a huge shift in that game for me happened um, when Neem just stopped trying to go down Marseille's right side. I I was watching and through the first 30, 35 minutes, that was pretty much the only uh, flank that they were counterattacking on. And I think Sakai was holding a bit of a, a bit of a deeper position over there. And uh, once they switched and started using Eliasson's wing more often, where uh, uh, where uh, Larola was uh, creating sort of more rotations with Tovan getting higher up the field, uh, they started to have a lot more success. And I actually was just looking into some of the stats from that match and one of them that really jumped out at me was that uh, Eliasson had uh, 1.2 XG just on his own, which accounted for wow. almost the entirety of Neem's XG from that game. I think they got uh, F-Ref has them down for 1.5. So just shows you what difference it made when they started going to him and trying to get the ball to him in space and how wide open Marseille were on, the, on that right flank. Do you think, um, Kale, based on, based on that, that Eliasson could be a kind of a difference maker, at least in an offensive sense for, for Neem? Because this isn't a guy who's known for goals. I mean, I think he's got three. His highest scoring league season was when he still played in Sweden, with, and that was, uh, that was three. And I think maybe he got that, uh, reached that total in the championship um, with Bristol City as well. But, but you know, based on, based on that performance and how, as you say, kind of Arpignon or, or Neem were able to switch things up and, and he was perhaps able to kind of exploit that, that flank, could he, be, could he be a key difference maker going forward? Or do you, do you kind of see that, that, um, that kind of key role offensively lying elsewhere in the side? I mean, I think it's hard to expect him to to have that kind of output every game, but uh, I think it's a good sign because I, on the right side, Ferhat is a is I think a, a pretty solid league on player, and he had I think six shot creating actions that game, so he was pretty busy. And I think it was when they just started playing more of those switches, and they would get the ball to Ferhat, and he would start to move it to Eliasson across the field. So. I think maybe you have something more with the 4-1-4-1 and just creating uh, more width and and using that that wide player on the left-hand side more often to get in behind the the opponent's fullback. I mean, we'll see. I don't know. Again, I, I think he's not a guy that scored a lot of goals, as you said. So I don't want to say that you know he can be a reliable <laughs> option. But it's a it's you know it's a at least it's a it's a bonus that he's that he is scoring. So. Eric, let's um, let's let's move on to some of the kind of the the fallout of of this one. You you obviously wrote uh, GFFN's weekly column in the Guardian this week, um, where you discussed essentially the fact that OM's title race or title chances kind of ended before they even began. Um, but I thought it was interesting, kind of what you uh, what you revealed there about the aftermath in terms of Marseille president Jacques Henriero um, effectively berating the team after the match. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about that and, and what you think, you know, the potential ramifications could be there because, you know, having a, a club president go around to the dressing room and completely slate the players, that's, that can't be good for morale. Right. Yeah. I mean, he did apologize for what he said afterwards, but I mean, he, he said, you know, that the players who don't, don't speak French need to speak it. Um, he said that the players had no desire. They weren't fit to wear the shirt. Um, and he also said that players who are out of contract in the summer um, need to figure out what they're doing. Now, I can understand from a sporting perspective how that is necessary. Um, but when those players include uh, Jordan Amadi and, and Florian Tovan, the potential to alienate, you know, players who, I mean, you know, maybe have been two, two of your better players this season. I mean, certainly Tovan has been, you know, the team's only conduit for, for attacking success. Um, and that's a really dangerous precedent. And, you, you know, and it's, it's ironic, too, because, right, we've seen in this transfer window um, the fact that Marseille did seem to be making some positive steps. I mean, getting Kevin Stroatman off the books by sending him alone to Genoa. I mean, he's, 
you know, been a non-entity and on his wages, that's a good thing to have him off the books. Um, Polarolo, whether whether or not he's the right type of player, uh, or sorry, whether he has the tools or not to succeed at Marseille is, is a question I think the jury remains out. But I think in terms of providing more attacking thrust on that right flank, uh, that's something that's really important. I think that the, the team have missed Bunasar in that respect. Um, and I think I think also that the potential, the potential for Arcadius Milik to come in, uh, from Napoli and succeed uh, is, an, is another one. And the team haven't really had a, a goal scorer. Um, well, I mean, Gomez was on, in on loan in 16-17, but uh, they haven't had a permanent uh, goal scorer on the team since Gignac left. Mm. Um, not to act as a striker. I know Tovans had had decent scoring returns in a couple seasons. But, uh, you know, there was hope for Benedetto to do that. But he's, you know, he hasn't been consistent enough to prove that he's he's at, at the level that, that OM required. So I think that's that's kind of what we're looking at. That Aero isn't isn't wrong, but it seems like you know rather than having the team sort of double down on their efforts and and provide positive motivation to castigate them even further, I think could really really um, put the cat among the pigeons. I mean, this team's already clearly unsettled. Um, do you, Do you think so? Because I'm I'm worried on this in that had these words not broken, how far lower can it get? Because I'm obviously operating under the pretense that this is a sort of clear the head, clear the air talks rather, where, you know, the better from Wednesday onward, um, because this has been going on for quite a long time. And I think the things that he brought up have been, you know, nuisances and annoyances that have been around probably since uh, the resumption of football post-COVID. Um, do you blame him? Because I, I don't, I misconduct whatsoever when compared to the fact that he, the first person that's absolutely castigated his name is in the press, his you know, protests in the city and all of that, um, when, when the players are half-arsing it. Well, so so I guess this is a question I wanted to ask you earlier, Mo, uh, is are the players half-assing it or are they exhausted? I mean, Florian Tovan started four matches in 11 days, you know, because yeah, totally. because there are no options. Well, you've got you've got to place that on, first of all, I think, given the, given the fact that this is perhaps a, you know, we talk about Tovan being tired now, but... A, Torvan didn't whatsoever. So having, you know, Valish Man on the right flank is not exactly a non-tried and tested issue. I think with the introduction of Polirola, who could, I think at first glance, is much better, you know, offensively than, than defensively, um, could could be an option. I think that is just, you know, game management. I think in the inverse, you had Marseille at the consequence of the, the, the cancellation of the, the Nice game, uh, the Lons game as well in, in November, playing only two matches that month. Um, and two more in the Champions League, and that was that. Um, and I think you have to roll with it. You have to roll with it with what's going on. There's no more Champions League. You know, other clubs, like, you know, I'm saying in England, you've got Tottenham Hotspur, who, who could be playing potentially 35 games till, you know, till the end of the season. Then the, you've just got to roll your stocks up and just go ahead. Um, and, you know, had Marseille maybe beaten Dijon um, and had been in a relatively more handsome position, no, Knowing that the game's at the hand, you could have tinkered with it. You don't need to play uh, Tolvan, or you could play him four to five minutes if your team is two 0 up. Um, he probably doesn't need to into the game. I think Valerjman is more than um, capable, particularly now that Andre Verbos has been that four four two diamond, um, you know, playing narrowly in the north. That you don't, you don't probably need. It's just a, like I said, it's just the fact that things have been so bad elsewhere. And I think those on the bench, I'm talking about Rodon and. Um, well, Giovanni, I think, has had a particular fair crack recently, but a Rodonich in particular, Mali Aki, you know, nowhere near the first team, as people had probably imagined about a year ago. He's been in the team 18 months, and he's done absolutely nothing bar that cameo in Lee last year. Um, it's, yeah, it's a question. I, I think I wrote it on this. I'll be being probably brutal here, but it, it has to change. I think what he when he says that some certain players are they're not learning from certain players, because Marseille is in that, this, you know, this thing will get them somewhere else. There's a reason, and I love Florent very much, um, that I, 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 like, probably one of my favourite players, but there's a reason why there are not these players as compared to Victor Osimhen who can play for one, you know, less than a year and move to 80, Nicola Pepe, 70 million, other players going for 50, 60, 70, but in Marseille, it's never. Marseille might have a more exaggerated, you know, because of the name rather than the actual output. It's just not good enough and where the rest of Europe, you know, just as just as us lot in this podcast, that people league a big name, everyone loves to see these, you know, faded giants coming back. 
and absolutely you know, humiliate themselves in the European stage of this year. And truthfully, the quality is not enough, but seeing Marseille with one win out of six in, in what should have been a, a mildly challenged was just poor. And I think those in England, uh, particularly in our two games against Manchester City, were probably beside themselves laughing. There's not even a sweat for, 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 for Man City at a time where Man City were not actually playing that well either. Um, and I think I would discover that certain players think um, that they're, they've got a heightened opinion themselves. And I'm looking at Dimitri Payet in particular, who whose numbers are absolutely way off uh, this year. Uh, that they think that, yeah, you know, that's all right. You know, if we, if we qualify, we don't qualify for Europe, whatever. And when contract renewal talks come in, they, they, they feel like they can hold the club to, you know, for a ransom. And then the cycle just continues. I, I don't see anything different from this Marseille team to the one that saw Rudy Garcia ousted to and how they slept walk right to the end of the season, even, you know, at this point of the year, in January or February, they could still salvage something, humiliating Europe, struggling, still salvaging something, but just, you know, sleepwalking right to the end. And then you had Garcia's issues, Payet not playing, Adil Rami, you know, going off to play for Bayard or whatever. And I think, you know, history is just repeating themselves. And, you know, Irod will be the first, you know, dragged on social media. He's the one that signed over you know, the contracts, signs the transfers. So I, I don't blame him. But you don't think that I he's... Think- that- I I think that you touch on though, but I think like you introduce a lot of interesting things and I think Eric kind of touched on it as well. So I'm sorry if I'm stepping on you here, which is, I think for me, there's like four things that pop up throughout this and that's like a lack of depth. And I mean that in terms of like, not just depth, but quality depth, because the people that coming off the bench are really not giving you much of anything. And you can say that about cuissance can say that i mean pep gaze it looks like a nice player but to be honest he's not giving you a whole lot through the mid middle of the field so what you end up is with an 11 that looks pretty much exactly the same week in week out and i think what we're noticing across europe is that you know even if you aren't playing champions league matches guys are getting really tired because of the frequency of the games and maybe it could be in part to to pandemic fatigue i'm not sure and then i think after that, you have to look at what Marseille did last season and, and whether or not you think, okay, maybe that was a bit of an aberration. Like maybe that was them overachieving on the talent level that's in the actual squad. And what we're seeing this year yeah. is that talent regress a little bit to the mean. And and I think there's a potential for that. I, I mean, I do think there's lots of talent at Marseille. Like I think Rangier is an incredible player and mm. probably doesn't get mentioned enough, to be honest. But uh, I, I do think there are some real structural squad issues there. And, and asking these guys to come out, like one of the things I've really noticed is that their pressing numbers in terms of like PPDA, so the amount of time they're allowing their opponent with the ball, is almost identical to the pressing numbers over the whole season last year, which is like pretty much unheard of for any other team in Europe. So they are being asked to do a lot of work because the system kind of requires that. And I wonder if that's something they can keep up. And then sorry, one, one final thing I would say is, you know, when you look at the top four right now in France, I think, I don't know if you guys agree, but I look at the top four and I would say, I would include Marseille in that. I would say that they are the, they have the least amount of quality depth of all those teams. So I think OL gets more off the bench. Lille gets more off the bench. PSG can get more off the bench. And so I think that could also possibly be contributing to Marseille yeah. looking more rent down than the other. I mean, I also, just a conversation, I think also something, something's come off the rail. Uh, and uh, you've mentioned, I think, very uh, good points. And I think there's a combination of them that is, you know, was last season to the fact that there was no European football and no pressure last season to achieve um, a bonus for OM. And I think uh, in the situation and COVID situation, I think an empty stadium has has hurt Marseille quite a bit. Um, I think, you know, that does help them get over the line sometimes. But when you look at Andre in particular, um, last year, the team cohesion, the collective identity, everyone speak wax and lyrical about each other, everyone insulting Rudy Garcia, um, so to speak. And this year, bizarre. You know, everyone is either looking in the media or, or, or whatever. I think only Alvaro Gonzalez has probably remained the same personality-wise. People are... Um, talking essentially like you know players saying that oh, well you know we're rubbish or we're you know we don't know what's going on you know we have to the same sound bites week in week out. and then you've got Villas Boas slagging off play um has not confirmed that he actually wants I've only signed 
a two-year contract because I had to. Um, and and then, you know, talks about year zero and the summer needs to be a massive fight and media process. Don't think he's got the stomach for it. He essentially already wants out, to be honest. I think he wanted out from last season with the Zubi Zaretta uh, debacle over the summer. And I think all of that has just... It, you know, they're not this, at the same place mentally. And I think when you do have that quality or lack of quality, you do have you know, less options. You, you, you make up for it in will, in effort, in, you know, just a much stronger mentality and another, uh, say, die attitude. Um, and I think, you know, looking at, so, you know, someone's listening to this podcast and looks at the league table, they think, what's all the fuss about? They're not that far off. Um, and true, the season can still be salvaged, but what tough game after this one at Monaco, at Rennes, Oh, at home to rent and then home to PSG. And that's just the next two and a half weeks. And what if, you know, I it, I don't think, I, I don't see at this moment in time that things will get better. And even with Milik coming, which I think Pablo Longo, a relatively smart job, and that's just so far. Mm. Um, I just don't see things. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But in Marseille, I think with the fans' eyes, that you can win, that's great. We'll love it. You can lose, that's fine. One thing that's non-negotiable is effort. Effort weekend. And if you lose, so be it. You're a crack team and don't have quality, and you lose, so be it. But you can't be half-assing it, and that's what it definitely. I think that's a great way to to bookend um, bookend the discussion on OM and what Marseille lack in terms of depth of personnel. They certainly don't lack in terms of depth of discussion points. But we should move on, um, as of course this wasn't the only upset to take place this weekend. Uh, Leon hosted Metz at the Group Armour Stadium on Sunday. Leon top of Ligue 1 on a 16-match unbeaten run. While Mets uh, have been impressing many this season, sitting in the top half of the table despite numerous injury problems, uh, particularly the absences of attackers Ibrahim Nian and Opa Nget more recently, uh, both of whom are still missing here. In the match, the host created a vast array of chances and thought they had won the match in the 74th minute thanks to Carl Toko Akambi. But the goal was ruled out for offside in the build-up and Mets snatched the win at the death on the counter, courtesy of Aaron Lea Iseka. Uh, Eric, from an OL perspective, you know, looking at the stats, it looked like a pretty, pretty dominant display. Um, was was it just a case of was it just one of those days where Leon just weren't able to get over the line? Um, a little bit. I, I, this is the thing, right? I, I feel like you know, as fantastic as that front three is, Catawere, uh, uh, Toko Gambi, and Memphis, I wouldn't say that any of them are top drawer finishers. And if they're all, you know, if they're all not firing on the same day, this this is what you get. Um, so it's a disappointing result for Leon, obviously. But, uh, you know, I, I think that that's that's the luck you play. I don't really think that, you know, since the departure of of Lacazette, that Leon have had a striker who, who operates in that stratosphere. I mean, they've had strikers who, yeah, have had decent goal returns, but. Are they quality finishers through and through? I don't think so. I think I filed Musa Dembele and Mariano Diaz in the same in the, in the same uh, drawer as well. Um, someone who just has that consistency and quality. And I think that you know they're fantastic on the break. But if you're trying to you know play against this this mess side that are are playing this well three four one two I I guess you could call it with with Bulaya a little a little deeper. Um, yeah, that's sometimes those are the breaks. And I think that you, you know, and they've also shown weakness at the back, I think, in allowing, say, for example, uh, Lance to come back and score two goals in that match a couple of weeks ago. I, I think that, um, you know, I think I, I think this result's been coming a little bit. I, I think that, um, you know, if you have if you have Memphis on song and playing well, great. But, um, you know, he's someone who. You know, is he is he at a hundred percent yet physically after after that ACL injury? Which again, remind you, was only thirteen months ago. You know, the fact that he came back as quickly as he did uh, was something really extraordinary. And and you know, what what sort of toll is are the rhythm of these matches taking on him? Um, so yeah, I think it was just a a matter of you know Leon's you know not really strikers if you want to call them that, um, not being found out, but just you know not quite quite playing at the level that um, we've seen from them. And I think that that's, you know, that's our, our regression to the mean, probably. We're not going to expect them to get, you know, 20 goals each from Carl Toko Akambi and Tino Kataweri over the course of the season. Um, you know, now again, not to take anything away from them, 16 run matches unbeaten. Their best run since 2005 is really impressive. 
And uh, the work rate of Toko Akambi and, and Ketawari has been exceptional. Um, and that's allowed them to get those easy chances. But again, when you're against a team that's focused and determined uh, and doing so well under Frederick Antonetti, um, I, I think, you know, this is what happens. Um, I think especially since she switched that back three, bringing in Kiki Kiate, um, they look fantastic. And you've, you also had, you know, Alexander Ukija played a, played a strong match as well. He's someone who I think has really come into his own as well. I mean, when he was with Trois, oh gosh, I mean, he was comfortably the worst keeper in the league. Um, but I, I think he's someone who's who's really improved a lot since arriving at Mess. And yeah, I think that that, that confluence of factors and, and some bad luck, um, you know, told the story. But I mean, to be fair, also, uh, I believe it was Sar uh, who hit the who hit the bar uh, with uh, just a couple minutes before Leia Seca did score. Um, so this match could have been two now. Um, so, yeah, again, disappointing evening for for Leon. But I think it's not something that they will have too hard of a time coming back from. And I think also I should say um, I, I do maybe want to take take Rudy Garcia to task a little bit uh, for leaving out. Awar and uh, Corne to start. Um, I think that you know Corne has been a figure of fun for for plenty of plenty of reasons, but I think you know he's definitely going to have motivation against his former side. Um, and I think that you know Decilio, I've said it before, I'll say it again, is not you know bring him on to seal off a game. You know he does not have the dynamism. He does not have the relationship with those players uh, ahead of him to to you know create any sort of thrust going forward. You know, you know why, especially you know, play on the left. I don't, I don't think he's played there yet. I think he's covered for Dubois a couple times on the right, but I don't think he started a match at left back yet. I could be wrong on that, but he's not played much there. Um, so yeah, I think that there's you know regression to the mean and some questionable choices on the part of Garcia uh, vis-a-vis his starting eleven, and and there you have it. It's a it's a result that you know I think they unfortunately earned. Um, and finally, as a, as a caveat, not to, not to go too. Hammer the hammer land too hard, but I think I think Lopez, uh, you know, if if you're coming out for that ball, you have to get it against Leia Seca. Mm. Um, I th- I think he is partially to blame for that goal. In in terms of the kind of broader context, you kind of touched on it a few points there, uh, Eric. You know that this result had been coming, and you know with what with Lance getting those two kind of late goals and that comeback recently, and then obviously what we saw last time out against Rennes, um, where Leon did tremendously well to come back, but of course were two nil down in the first place, and and now this, are we seeing a, a kind of slight swing in in momentum perhaps, or or you know is this is this kind of you know is this just kind of naturally the the conclusion of a of a tremendous run such as the run that they've been on you know because they haven't haven't had um haven't had any significant injuries i know you've talked about that as being a potential factor that could derail the the title race and um or their or their title challenge i should say and you know we have had kind of some speculation around players but largely speaking you know it's only dembele to to make a move so far who who yes he's featured in in or featured in every game when he was fit but you know didn't exactly play a key role this season do you see this as kind of a, a, a stuttering in momentum, or kind of more just, as I say, kind of a natural, a, a natural kind of turn of events after a run as good as the run they have been on? Um, I, uh, I think that, I think it's a little bit more uh, down to the. I, I, I should say we're, it's it's we shouldn't discount the quality of the sides against whom they played in these last three matches. Um, Lance have shown time and again this season that they're not someone who are willing to give up e- easily. Um, Mess again, as I mentioned, since switching to this back three, look very, very solid. You know, and Ren are in fifth place, and I think have a what, eight match unbeaten run, something like that, seven match unbeaten run. Um, these are quality sides. Again, I know, I know that's not the first thing that leaps to mind when one thinks of Mess, but with this result, they're in ninth place. Um, that's you know, that's not a that's not a that's that's an impressive result. They have second, third best defense in the league, um, fourth. Sorry, joint third with Marseille. Um, so I, I you know to not be able to break down um, you know one of the better teams in the league defensively. I don't think there's any necessarily any shame in that. Um, yeah, I th- I think they'll have to respond um, 
against Etienne. And I think that that's going to be a truer, truer level of truer test of the team's confidence. And given the absences that Etienne have as a result of COVID, um, yeah, if Leon don't win that, gosh, I don't, I don't really know what to say. Um, I, I mm. think that, that that's something that would be a lot more work. I think that this match against a team that's very well set up to play on the counter and had, you know, just that bit of attacking inventiveness um, with the return of Wulaya, who had missed a couple matches himself, I believe, because of COVID. Um, you know, mess, mess look a more complete side, um, even if they are missing and getting the on. Um, yeah, so I think we need to give credit to the, their opponents in this little blip, as it were, um, and, you know, look towards them playing, you know, more winnable matches. Because the fact of the matter is, when Leon have played, you know, their quote unquote bigger rivals, um, they've been able to, you know, grind out performances. I, you know, I, the, the, they played a battle and draw against Leo with 10 men. Um, they beat PSG. Um, they, they thumped Monaco when those two met uh, earlier in the season. Um, so yeah, I, I think, it, I think we need to really wait and see how things play out, um, before, you know, making a judgment on this. I mean, you know, I mentioned the column, but the guardian, I very could have easily, very easily could have, you know, gone down uh leon's throat but I, I didn't think that there's a trend i don't think that there's a trend being established in that in that in the same way that there is at marseille um i think they've come up against teams that uh, are well set up and well organized and have good defenses and you know uh, i think that they looking at you know a lot of the previous parts of that run um they were able to break down teams that you know didn't have that 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 sort of quality i mean at the back so yeah, I think that's that's what it really boils down to. Kale, um, coming to coming to you then, uh, focusing now on Mets. Obviously, Eric there is, has, has, has I think put it very aptly that that Mets, you know, are by no means pushovers. Certainly not this season. I think many perhaps would have expected that, if not at the start of the season, then certainly given the kind of run of injuries they had. But you know, they have got the fourth best defense in the league, and this tactical switch up to a to a three four one two seems to have brought more stability after kind of a, a slightly more shaky run of performances, but they've never really kind of been on a terrible run since the start of the season. Do you feel this is a side who perhaps deserve more plaudits and more credit than they're getting? I mean, we had Jeremy Smith on the show, I think just before, um, just before the festive period. And he's obviously a, a big FC mess fan. And, and he was suggesting that this was the best uh, season the club had had in, in nearly a couple of decades, you know, and, if you think about kind of the praise that Brest have been getting this season, obviously playing kind of more exciting football along the way, but yeah, have you, have, uh, how impressed have you been with, uh, with Mets and do you feel perhaps they are, they deserve some credit for the, for the season that they're having? Yeah, definitely. Honestly, I, yeah, I didn't see this coming at all when they started the year. And then even through, I don't know what, maybe it was the first five or so matches. I, I thought they were genuinely terrible. Like I thought they were the worst, they were the worst team that I watched in the league through the first five matches, probably uh, they couldn't do anything right. So <laughs> this switch to the back three, and I think really just utilizing maybe more appropriately what they have in their lineup is really doing wonders for them. I mean, against Lyon, I think you don't, you just have to look as far as, uh, excuse me, as, uh, as Bulea, who was excellent and like everything ran through him on the counterattack and, and this is what Mets can do, and per- perhaps you could say what Mets has been able to do for a while, in terms of they they find these players that are that are that are good dribblers, they're quick, they're uh, direct up front, and uh, you have to feed them the ball and and allow them to do their business in the final third, and and that's kind of what you saw against Lyon as well, and I was super impressed with how well they played and and you know to pick up on it a little bit and I don't want to be too critical of Lyon because I think you know these things happen and they're definitely going to happen this year it's such a crazy and ridiculous year I think to read into this loss too much would be I agree with Eric it would be I think it would be a little it would be too much uh, because Lyon played really well I still think they are for my money the best team in the league um, so far this season in terms of a week-to-week quality. But uh, they really just kind of never got a handle on the midfield, and they never got a handle on the counterattacking from Mets. And I was looking at Bulea's pass maps and some of his stats, and it was just like he, he was picking up the ball in more or less the same location all match and playing 
very, very similar passes. And so I think Garcia probably has to wear that a little bit. And they were mostly stretch passes to the right flank, um, yeah, identifying, obviously, Deshilio as the guy to go after. And mm-hmm. he, he ended up making five key passes, nine progressive passes, and he created eight shot-creating actions on his own. So I think we should give some serious credit to Mets. I thought that they deserved the win. And, uh, yeah, good for them. And good, good for Mets being in the top half of the table. Yeah, good for Mets indeed, and and good for Bulaya in particular, who has who has looked looks a very exciting player this season. Uh, let's move on now, guys, to our to our final game uh, from the weekend, if we may, that we're going to be taking a look at in more detail, and that is Montpellier versus Monaco. Montpellier hosted Monaco at the Mosson, um, and were in fine form uh, at the start of the season, but winless in their last five matches going into this one. Nico Kovac's Monaco, meanwhile, were coming in with three wins in their last four and made it four in five here with a 3-2 victory. Uh, Eric, this was quite the thriller, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, Montpellier, um, you know, have, like Monaco, been somewhat inconsistent this season um, and, you know, really looked up against it in the first half. Um, they had that quick fire, two goals from Voland and Ben Yedder. But I think once they brought on the likes of, uh, Savanier in, in the second half, that, that really changed the game, uh, to have that bit of creativity from midfield and to allow them to play a bit more forward thrust. I think that was, um, you know, that was, that was really impressive. And I think that, um, you know, Montpellier are probably not going to reach Europe, which is, I think, frustrating but i think that that might just be beyond the club's means at this point despite the good play of delore laborde and zavanier when he has been fit this season but again credit to credit to monaco i, I think that they've been you know nico kovac continues to uh, improve the players uh, he's working with um you know sofia and Dopp was, was solid again kevin volan and wilson benietta you know are are banging in the goals uh, i think that's nine for benietta and ten for volan on the season um Pardon me. Um, and, you know, he continues to place face in that midfield central axis, who are, I think are criminally underrated, uh, Chomeni and, and Fofana. Um, you know, I think have started just about every match this season when they've not been suspended. Um, and, yeah, it's it's a, another really impressive display from Monaco. I think they just um, play with this energy and drive that uh, is, is consistent and is impressive. And, um, you know, even if... You know, maybe if Savani had been fit enough to start, this would have been a, a challenging result. Um, I think that Kovac is really building something here, and um, you know, it's 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 impressive indeed, especially given that you know, speaking of the bench, I mean, to be able to call on the likes of Javitic and and Golovin and Jelson Martins when he's fit um, off the bench is is really impressive. Um, that level of depth that um, the Monaco has is is enough, and especially without having European football this season. Um, I think they can continue to, you know, look at fourth place as a worst case scenario. If, if Lille or, you know, Lille when perhaps once the Europa League starts up again, or, or Leon to do to do a key injury or two were to, you know, go into a prolonged slide, I think Monaco have the tools to, to catch to catch up to that top three and and place themselves in that conversation. Yeah, I I I would agree with you there. I mean, certainly in terms of the strength of that uh, that starting eleven and also. Um, some of the players that they are able to bring off the bench, the likes of Golovin and, and Jovetic, more consistently over the last few weeks, uh, as you say, you know that is that is a, that is a huge kind of um, a huge uh, benefit to to have. Um, but but taking a look at that side, because you know Kovac hasn't exactly kind of rotated the team significantly. Yes, he's kind of made the odd change uh, at fullback or kind of in central defence more recently. Um, I, I'd like to come on to that in a minute, but. But Mo, taking a look at this this Monaco side, because they are, you know, they are quite assistant or do field quite a consistent eleven. Is there a particular area you feel they could be looking to strengthen going forward? Because you know, you would think that that given their backing, Monaco perhaps won't be as as hard hit as certain other clubs by what's going on behind the scenes. And you know, I think some much was made of kind of the the slight drop in form that Monaco had a couple of months ago, I think to do with uh, which we put down to kind of that four, four, two system and then perhaps being exploited in certain ways. But, but yeah, Mo, what, what area of that side do you see as kind of one, which they could look to strengthen going forward? Yeah, I think a couple of areas in the squad where they could definitely 
strengthened, I think, um, first of all, right back, but he's not as good as he, he once was, doesn't as much fluidity as he once did. Um, so I think there's, there's definitely just gets, I know Aguilar's probably um, has, has played up there, but I think just get some better depth um, and not offer perhaps a, a different um, that could be one option. I think um, in midfield, um, Safan and Chouameni are, I mean, good. I think they, they have had perhaps low starts uh, to their Monagas careers, uh, but I think they've come well. I think they, they probably need to, uh, better depth there. I don't think Fabregas is staying too long in the principality mm-hmm. um, and the bench in particular. I know Golovin sometimes plays a little bit deep, but um, you could definitely add another body in there, particularly um, if if they are going to um, over the next year. Um and I think, you know, while up front they do have a plethora of options, I think alongside the wings to have a different wing power um, options, I think in particular, uh, Sofian Diop, I know, I think we had a discussion in November where um, I think there was there was some praise for, for his um, sort of taking to uh, Liga and following his, his time at Sochaux, but I think it's still a little bit tender. I know starting from like a right now, but I think... There, if they do have necessary financial backing, have escaped perhaps a lot of the issues that are swallowing me at the moment. I think perhaps a higher profile winger would probably identify that squad. Um, I know, you know Kai Henry, I think we saw the weekend, very good at getting balls into danger. Um, but I think a, a more potent winger, they're, they're doing well. Their squad, is, their squad is okay. They are relying a lot on young players. I think the defence, they have a couple of options, I think, up front. Benyadeh and Voland are, are, are you know, playing really, really well off each other. And Jovetic, uh, Pellegrini, Goebbels uh, do offer uh, the necessary depth. I think the men- areas that I mentioned would be the best place that Monaco... Sure. Um, I mean, in central defence, for example, it looked like it was going to consistently, we would see that duo of um, Paddy Achille and, um, and uh, Dizassi. But more recently, yeah. we've seen uh, Guillermo Maripan come into the fray uh, he was obviously brought in last season from Alaves. Um, he's been great in recent performances and kind of has tended to displace one of the other two. Um, Kale, do you do you see do you see him as a as a kind of regular going forward in that in that back line, kind of displacing one of those those two young centre backs uh, on a permanent basis? I'm not sure if he'll do it on a permanent basis, but I do think it's nice to have the depth and nice to not have to play those young players so much consistently every single match and you know have the team really rely on them for 90 minutes every single every single day so i don't know if long term mary pan is a is a is someone that that maybe you'll lean on at, at center back but i think he's performed really well and i think you know it's good to have someone else back back there that can play minutes especially this season but the other two are, are good and they're and they have the potential to be great. So I, I, I think that's really the long term plan. Just a just a brief note on on, on Montpellier um then. Um Eric, you and I were kind of speaking just before we started recording about about what we feel is key uh to this dip in form because as I said, you know, they I think a lot of people were we're tipping them for for European football, perhaps rather optimistically, kind of in October, November time. But they have kind of fallen off more recently. Um, what do you feel that could be down to? I, I think it's it's over the last month. It's been injuries and COVID. I mean, you've had uh, matches of absences uh, uh, for for Florent Mole. He missed a match or two with injury. Tete Zavagne, Sefi Mabedidi, just as they seem to be sort of coalescing into that. You know, with playing with four at the back, um, I think those absences have sort of forced Jezakarian's hand back into playing uh, this, well, 3-5-2-ish, 5-3-2, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, you know, well, that's paid dividends in certain respects, I think that it also relies on having players of that quality. You're allowed to play with a level of freedom that they don't necessarily have if, if Mole is playing as part of a central three rather than is behind that front two. Um, you know, just being tasked with different responsibilities I don't think that you can necessarily expect the same results, especially going forward, uh, given how, you know, given how things work, given how how that system requires uh, its midfielders to play. So, uh, yeah, with that being the case, um, I think that um, it's it's a challenging situation um, for Jerzakarian, and I hope that now that he had, does seem to have his his full quiver, uh, as it were, of players, that uh, he can he can get the side back to playing, you know, the way 
you know, the way we'd like to see. Again, you know, uh, the more strong teams there are in Liga, the better. And I think that Montpellier, uh, you know, I've had some unfortunate absences through injury. I mean, in suspension as well. I mean, I, I remember uh, when they played PSG uh, last or earlier in the season. You know, I was thinking, oh, you know, if only they, if only they had Delore. Yeah, I think he was suspended or had COVID. I can't remember. Um, but I think that Montpellier, with every single one of that first choice eleven uh, at Dzerzakarian's Desert- disposal, is a force with which to be reckoned. They're the, the equal of any team in the league. But it's you know really a bit of a house of cards. If you do have one or two of those players absent, um, it's a lot more difficult for them to have that continuity and that fluidity, uh, especially going forward. I'm aware of. Uh time uh ticking on guys so let's um let's move on now to a, to a couple of twitter questions just to to finish the show off but but as always very much appreciative of the analysis there um one question in particular relates to the ongoing uh media pro fiasco um the latest there obviously is that uh, the lfp are trying to uh, trying desperately to negotiate a new deal uh, reportedly after 622 million euros a year or else Ligue 1 will go bust um you know which is hugely hugely worrying indeed that's what sofoot uh, reports um as well as the fact that, uh well the dncg have also reported that a third of all Ligue 1 and Ligue 2 clubs are on the verge of bankruptcy so you know this really is um an extremely extremely worrying time indeed um obviously we'll 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 devote more time on a, on a future show perhaps to go through this uh, the latest updates on that but we do as i say have a question on twitter from shortsleeves afc who asks what effect uh, is the french tv rights crisis having on clubs transfer policies will some clubs be forced to unexpectedly sell talent on the cheap and if so which clubs should we keep an eye on um Mo, I'll come to you on this one. I think Lille have been mentioned a fair amount recently because of their finances, obviously irrespective of the TV deal. You know, with that, that with Gerard Lopez um, being forced to to sell the club. Um, but what, yeah, what, what, what are you? What's your take on that one? Who do you feel perhaps? Um, do you I feel think, perhaps yeah. that some clubs? Yeah, go for it. Sorry, yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think we in the run up to, to 2021, uh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago of, of Lille, and I think. You never know. I think the the fact that they've gotten at least in the short term their financials clearer because of Gerard Lopez is now out of the picture, um, that there possibly might be execution um, for a little while, and I think into the summer window, particularly with the potential risks of you know a league untitled, they might go to the wire, the Champions League. Uh, that's back for them. That will be huge for for them as well. Um, it's it's the 18th of a very very quiet January transfer mm. for for league and clubs. So unless there is the right in the last few days of which you know deals will probably start being having you know being leaked to the media around about now being negotiated um so that's not happened whatsoever um so i think might have in the final week of january one or two clubs who will be uh, trumped i think with interest in in a star player that they weren't banking on in january but because of the fact they're still an embroglio over the tv rights had that been stood and had for example canal plus taken over on january 31st There'll be at least some, you know, um, some certainty. But that's still like finances, obviously, pandemics there as well. Um, so you're already seeing, I think, with Marseille about to sell Morgan Sanson to, to to the Premier League to to Villa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Montpellier um, speaking for Gaetan Labor, um, with with no guarantee. That, and if it is, you know, who, who there's there's not a lot of time left in the window. We're already nearly three weeks in. Um, so I think, watch your space, I think, you know, we might as well answer this question again next month um, because I think there'll be a lot of move. Yeah, it's such a kind of such a kind of um, variable saga, isn't it? You know, especially if there isn't kind of any resolution in the next week, then it's it really is very, very difficult to predict how things are going to pan out. Uh, Kale, I know you, you spoke very, um, very in very articulate fashion on the preview show uh, a month or so back uh, with Lewis about the kind of media pro situation. What, what's your take on on, on that question? I think, uh, like Mo, it's really, really difficult to read right now. I, I do think that the January market in general, if we were to look at it holistically, is going to be really soft because all the teams across Europe are working with a stricter budget. And so I think the money that you would be hoping to get for someone in a normal year, you're just not going to get that kind of return uh, coming back to you in January. Uh I mean, it all depends, I guess, on how 
how long certain owners are willing to wait. But I think, you know, for them, there might be a benefit of saying, okay, maybe it's better to hold on to some of these guys until the summer and see how this TV deal actually shakes out between uh, Ken Al- well, hopefully Ken Alpleus and, mm-hmm. and uh, the league, and then go from there and start basing their sales in the summer. I, I also think what you're going to see across Europe is as the pandemic we're hoping that it's going to wind down, but we still don't really know the status of, of what things are going to look like uh, to begin next year. I still think there are question marks around that in terms of how many stands, you'll, how many fans you'll be able to get into the stadiums, you know, what some of these international competitions are going to look like. Um, so I do think that the, the market's just not going to strengthen very quickly. And I think vegan sides maybe are better to say to themselves in January, I'll limit my sales. And, and not try and, you know, sell my way out of this problem that I don't know it's even going to be solved really by the summer, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it does indeed. And, uh, and and finally, our final question, which sadly also does relate to the to the pandemic. You know, we will eventually reach a point where we where it's but a distant, distant memory, I'm sure. But obviously this weekend, you know, for the f- first time in a while, we saw a, a Ligue 1 match postponed in Lorient, Dijon. Um, as Lorient are, are battling a, a COVID outbreak, um, missing too many players due to the virus um, to um, for the match to take place. Um, we saw a similar kind of situation threatened to emerge for the Saint-Étienne-Strasbourg game, um, with Saint-Étienne uh, missing numerous first-team players through COVID. But that match did uh, take place. Um Eric, I'll come to you with this one. We got asked by Patrick Jordan on Twitter what our opinion is, or I guess I'm asking what your opinion is on that match taking place, um, considering the circumstances. Well, uh, I mean, you know, it's it's a tough thing to, to to account for. I think that it's at this point in the season, you know, there still is a lot of time in which to reschedule these matches. You know, neither uh, Sante nor, nor Strasbourg are involved in Europe. Um, and if there is, you know, some modicum of, you know, the question of availabilities uh, in terms of, you know, teams being able to play, um, you know, I think that they should err on the side of caution because, you know, we've seen that testing is not 100% accurate. And, you know, if if we were to say that, um, you know, Mari Kamara, you know, potentially had, you know, got a false positive or a false negative rather and played and, you know, then there's an outbreak with the Strasbourg squad. I, I don't think it's, it's, it's a responsible thing to do. I think it would have been, you know, pretty easy to shoehorn this match into a, you know, a Wednesday at some point for the down the line. Now I know that puts an, un, uh, you know, that's, that's perceived as being unfair to Strasbourg because it's something they've done wrong. Um, if the match were to have been rescheduled. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, if, if, if that had been, you know, if that is borne out to be the case that Strasbourg do um, end up get, you know, reporting positive, positive cases as a result of this, you know, uh, then I think there'll be no, no small level of regret. So I think it, I think there needs to be a little bit uh, more of a circumspect approach to this uh, vis-a-vis rescheduling matches, particularly if teams are not involved in Europe. I know we mentioned Spurs earlier in the show, but you know, uh, there's the Coupe de France, but you know, for all, but, uh, Lille and, and PSG, uh, there isn't European competition. So um, I, I do think that the league should approach this with a, a level of caution, even if it means um, potentially bumping up against the Euros uh, come come May. Yeah, I would I would agree. I guess that is the main problem is is the is the 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 Euros coming up, and perhaps I don't know why why kind of UEFA leagues aren't uh, teams within UEFA leagues are perhaps not so willing to to for, for the for the schedule to be kind of significantly messed around but it does seem that for two sides that don't have european commitments as you say you know uh, purely for the well-being of the players l- let alone kind of the lack of fixture congestion it, it, it's it seems like it would make far more sense for the match to have been um have been postponed i think quite rightly there was a bit of outrage amongst the uh, sante fans um as a result of that decision um, and, uh, you know, there's been more, particularly in England more recently, kind of as the situation has, has, has worsened, as I think it is in, in other parts of Europe over the, over the winter again. You know, there has been some, some clamour um, from, from players, you know, to, to, for, or, or certainly in the media as well, to, you know, consider 
rescheduling games or or even taking another pause in the season because ultimately you know we have to we the priority has to be the well-being of these guys and although you know not too many players are going to be going to the euros uh from the french third division if you take a look at the championnat national for example the french third tier they've had uh, numerous matches kind of rescheduled over the course of the season so far and actually they've managed to to reschedule them all fine and i'm pretty sure other than perhaps a match last weekend they're kind of more or less where they would be at this stage anyway so it can be done um so uh you know i just think it's important that we consider the well-being of the of the players because as eric rightly points out you know um there is there is a potential risk to to strasbourg in 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 all of this anyway thanks for sticking with us in this in this busy week that will be all from us this evening um thanks very much for joining me tonight guys as always make sure you're following us at gffn on twitter for all the latest news from the world of french football And please check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. I'm Jake Smales, and I've been joined by Mohamed Ali, Eric Devin, and Kale Stockwell. Stay safe, enjoy the football, and have a great week.